Let's stand as we begin our time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O heavenly King, O comforter, the spirit of truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us. Cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have titled the series that we're going to be running, quite frankly, as long as God wants this to run. The title of our series is The Kingdom of God is Near to Us. The Kingdom of God is Near to Us. I shared with you that the framework, though we're not going to be teaching the book itself, the framework from this series comes from this book that I have in my hands that I will read a little bit from today to help us called Everywhere Present by Father Stephen Freeman. I'll actually read more today than I read probably in most of the sessions that we have together. But between Father James Rooney and myself throughout this series, we're going to see today a problem that is in every one of our lives, but also the solution that needs to be before us that we always move towards in our Christian walk, toward our salvation and the experience of the kingdom of God and the king who is so ever-present with us at all times. The problem is we don't always live in that reality. As I even mentioned in, in the sermon today, we get distracted in our lives that peel us away. I mean, think about the reality that it is infinitely possible to be doing the most mundane things in our lives and experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's the truth. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ came to bestow upon us, to bring to the earth the experience of the glory of the kingdom of God eternal for everyone who would remain in him. And so today, this session is going to introduce this series. It's going to set the stage of the problem and where we're going for the solution. And I'm going to do something, you know, from time to time in these classes, I will read a portion, a little paragraph or so. I'm actually going to read at the very beginning of this class about three or four paragraphs to you of the introduction to this book, Everywhere Present, because it was penned by His Eminence Metropolitan Jonah of the OCA. And the way that Metropolitan Jonah wrote the introduction to this book, I cannot set the stage for this course better than his own words. And so I'd like to read to you this. And as I read it, consider what Metropolitan Joseph is voicing to us about our life in this world and our life in Christ. Bear with me and hang on. I'm going to try to read it as if he's talking to you, okay? I know reading is reading. But it's very important that we get this framework. He writes, Father Stephen Freeman's excellent book is the story of how 
faith in our society has been compromised by secularism. What had been an integrated vision of God and humankind, of the divine and the created in the one story universe, has become a dualistic segregation of God from human life into a two story model in which God is absent from this first floor. And people begin to wonder, is there anyone home up there? Father Stephen's presentation analyzes in a wonderful narrative style all the various aspects of the loss of the consciousness of the presence of God in our world. God has not disappeared from our world, but we have tried to exile him to the second floor. One of the most fundamental principles of Christian vision of reality is that God is present everywhere and filling all things. This underlies the essential Christian task of becoming consciously aware of that presence and bringing that awareness into every aspect of our lives. Secularism is the compartmentalization of God and religion and everything else into autonomous and unrelated parts of our lives. Secularism does not deny that God exists, but rather states that, has, that he has his place and does not necessarily affect other areas of our life. The real Christian task is to integrate our lives and our consciousness by the awareness of God. To overcome the compartmentalization dictated by this culture and to sanctify all creation by the remembrance of God, by the awareness of his presence. In truth, there is nothing that is not permeated by God. And there is nowhere we can flee from his presence. We live, as it were, in the womb of God. It is not God who has absented himself from our awareness. Rather, we have shut him out and become forgetful of his presence, intentionally oblivious to reality himself. We're faced with the task of overcoming the delusion of our own autonomy and surrendering to him who rules over all things. Indeed, the compartmentalized world is a delusion of our own creation. It is the ascendancy of the rational mind over the spiritual intuition, the head over the heart. It creates a comfortable world with safe borders over our own very limited perceptions and very narrow vision, an illusion that we can understand and control because it is not God who created it. The Christian way, as the Orthodox tradition understands it, is the path to true freedom to living in reality as it is, to perceiving the truth. We understand that our rational minds are limited and our perception is limited. Thus, we are then free to stand before the infinite abyss of the mystery of God in silence. We don't have to define it. We don't have to describe it. It simply is. Or rather, he simply is. And the whole creation shimmers with his glory and sings the hymn of praise to God. If we follow this way, it gives us ears to hear the cosmic hymn of thanksgiving and a voice to join in. It gives us eyes to perceive 
and scenes and senses to taste and smell and intuitive knowledge that God is truly present and all things exist in him and that our salvation and eternal life is to be conscious of him. Are you seeing the dissonance of the problem and the reality that we live in? At least beginning to. We're going to look at this more. Allow me to state again just a few of his words. I love how he said the secularism of our faith is the compartmentalization of God, religion, and everything else into unrelated parts of our lives. It's a way, as I like to say, because it's a funny example that represents a truth that all of us struggle with from time to time, that a lot of the times we live our lives as Christians in the image of a confused traffic cop. Remember those traffic cops that would say, come on traffic or stop? We live our lives, when we live our lives comp, uh, where God is in these different compartments. We say to the Holy Spirit, come, but at the same time we've got our hand out to stop him. You see? This is what we're talking about. Secularism, he said, does not deny that God exists, but states that he has his place and doesn't necessarily impact and affect everything in our lives. Now take that idea, this broken framework of the compartmentalization of God in our faith. Take that framework and let it be met with the prayer to the Holy Spirit that I started this off by praying. And remember, the liturgical prayers that we pray, the liturgical prayers reveal to us, even as we pray them, truths about God, truths about our life in Him, truths about the reality of the kingdom of God and the nature of the king, you see? And so when we have this prayer to the Holy Spirit, listen to this prayer and compare it to the idea of trying to compartmentalize God in different areas of our life. O heavenly king, O comforter, the spirit of truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us. Cleanse us from every stain that is affect and impact our entire lives, our entire being, and save our souls, O oh, gracious Lord. Does this sound like a God to be compartmentalized? Where, Lord, you belong here and not here? Or, Lord, I'll attend to you here but not here at this time in my life? It sounds like, based on this prayer, a God who wants to be involved in the micro-fabric of our beings, in the absolute reality of every second and moment and waking moment of our lives, that we might be able to experience Him in the moments of our lives. Let's look at a few scriptures regarding the kingdom of God. And just like the prayer, let's see if this Description, these descriptions from Holy Scripture speak to the kingdom of God as if it's far away or to be compartmentalized. And I start with the wondrous picture that we see at the birth of Christ. As the shepherds are overseeing their flocks in, in the evening and how they behold how near the kingdom of God had truly come to earth from the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Get this picture. Dark night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. 
Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the heaven, in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, because the incarnation the, was the inauguration of the kingdom of God on earth, it was made manifest near to us. It was manifest to them. I like to picture it when, when you start seeing not only the angel, but all of the angelic, the throng of the angelic hosts revealing themselves, or I should say being revealed to the shepherds that night, that it's as if God took a curtain, a veil, and drew it, made it open, so that mankind could see how near the kingdom of God had come. Indeed, that when mankind was looking at this, they came to see absolutely and infinitely the lack of distance between the two. The kingdom of God had come to earth. St. John the forerunner from St. Matthew chapter 3, it says, In those days John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus would echo those same words in St. Matthew chapter 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then there was the time where our Lord Jesus Christ had his disciples, roughly 72 of them were told, from the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 10. And he breathes upon them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he sends them out to the nearby villages that he would go to after they went. And here's what he tells them. He says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest with them. If not, it will return to you. Now listen to this. Heal the sick. Everywhere you go, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. My friends, this would be an absolute foreshadowing of what our Lord fully intended through the body of Christ to the end of the age from Pentecost forward. Because at Pentecost, our Lord Jesus Christ would fill all of His disciples with Himself and the continuing ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, bringing people to repentance that they might be healed, healing the sick of soul and body and mind and casting out the demonic and taking the territory of the enemy in people's hearts and lives would commence. In the kingdom of God, they experienced it as they went to those villages. When the disciples asked our Lord how to pray, you remember the one thing that He told them in that prayer, the Our Father? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? On earth. Don't stop there. As it is. No difference, you see. No difference. This is what he told his disciples to pray because this is the will of God. This is the will of God. Jesus in St. Luke chapter 17 being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them saying, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is or there. For behold, listen to this, the kingdom of God is within you is within you. Everywhere you go is the king and the king kingdom that he has brought. God and his kingdom are there. It really as if as what the psalmist penned in Psalm 139. When it comes to thinking about 
Is God distant? Listen to the psalmist words. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far, of the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And there are so many. That's, that's a snippet of all the holy scriptures that describe just how near the king and the kingdom have been manifest here on earth by the will of God for the salvation of every soul therein and for all who would come into that kingdom. Now, do you see anything in the scriptures that you just heard that, asks like, that acts like God is to be a part of our life? That the kingdom of God is to be compartmentalized in our experience of the kingdom of God so that when we come to church, we experience Him. Or in our prayer life, we experience Him. But what about when we're driving down the road and somebody cuts us off? I wonder if we're experiencing God. I don't want to hear some of the language that some, you know, I don't want to know this. Only in confession. <laughs> Only in confession. That's maybe why they're allowed. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's right. My friends, rather, it looks like the kingdom of God is an eternal reality now and forever because Christ our God condescended to wrap our flesh around himself and dwell among us here in this earth, fallen as it is. An eternal reality that everywhere around us, always, and within us, every moment of our lives, there is the experience that can be had, is to be had, of the kingdom of God, which is our only great and wonderful hope of salvation. And as we begin this journey, I want to ask you to entertain some questions within yourselves, as I am doing. I'll just kind of walk through them. Have we, deceived, have we been deceived in some ways into a secularized living out of our faith? Do we live as if the experience of God and His kingdom are there to be had again when we do the Christian things? The prayer, the hours of prayer, the daily, the vespers, the matins, the divine liturgy each time we gather together, particularly on Sundays. But then the times in between those separated times, do we live as though God were somewhat distant? Do we perceive Him as somewhat distant? Or even worse, do we believe or live as if God doesn't even exist in those moments we're away from Him in our minds? Is God a God of our convenience? Sometimes... We live our lives the way we see fit. And then when it's time, or when we are in great need and become desperate enough, we bring God into the picture as if He wasn't already there. Is our faith based on feelings? Sometimes we feel God is near, so He must be with me. But when we do not feel the presence of God, He must be distanced and has perhaps distanced himself from me in those moments? Or is our current way of living a Christian life in the kingdom of God like an on and off switch type of experience? Again, where it's as if maybe we play peekaboo with God, or now you see me, now you don't. 
right? And I think if we're all honest, and I will tell you in my own life, that I think we all struggle with any or various and sundry realities of the questions that I just asked you, yes? Yes? Yes. It's the very reason that I was so compelled to bring the realities of the kingdom of God according to our faith and the truths that have been revealed to us about the king and his kingdom at this time in our lives. And particularly with everything that, that I see everyone rightly struggling with and everything that's going on around us, how do we live out the kingdom of God manifest in this earth in a day and time like this? First and foremost for certain, for your own salvation, the kingdom of God is not just manifest for those around you. The kingdom of God is manifest to heal you. It brings us into the experience of God through the rhythm and lifestyle of that kingdom that brings us into the experience of the divine Christ who is within us so that we may be healed and restored and made new again. But obviously, secondly, so that as we experience the healing work of Christ as one who dwells in the kingdom always in our lives, that the living waters are produced within us and spill out and overflow from us to all those that are around us who desperately need the manifestation of the kingdom of God in their life, that they may experience him and come in and find wholeness again, find the reordering of their disorders, peace to their passions. Right? God brought his kingdom to us that we might live and dwell in it and experience here and now. The bringing of the kingdom of God is his work of renewing all things fallen and making all things new again here on this earth as it is in heaven. I want to offer you just a few little thoughts from Father Stephen Freeman in his first chapter from everywhere present. He says this, I've come to think of this modern culture construct as this two-story universe. It is as though the universe were a two-story house. We live here on earth, the first floor, where things are simply things and everyone operates according to normal natural laws while God lives in heaven upstairs and is largely removed from the story in which we live. To affect anything here, God then must interrupt the laws of nature and perform a miracle, exactly how he does. Two-story universe is another way of describing a secular culture. The word secular should never be confused with, an a with atheist. Instead, it refers to a separation between our daily life and the living God. I like how Father Stephen says that if it's a two-story universe, this really is how we tend to perceive it in error, but if it's a two-story universe, God has to pass through and break through the natural laws that he created to do any of his wonders of salvation on the earth. To do a miracle, that's what's required. He must come down from distance, act, but then unfortunately we treat it also as if he goes back upstairs when he's done. Come on, this is the way we live, if we're honest. It is. 
It's as if the continuing works and ministry of Christ our God are not normal and natural to the kingdom of God on earth, just as when Christ literally walked the earth doing these very miracles. What has happened to us? What's happened to us? That our faith has become unlike the great faith of those who so desperately needed an encounter with Christ and indeed experienced Him when He walked the earth. The faith, for example, of the leper from the Gospel of St. Matthew in chapter 8, when Christ, when He came to Christ and said with great faith, Lord, if you are willing, I know you can make me clean. And Jesus responds, I am willing, as if to say, this is the, are you kidding? This is the very reason I am here. This is who I am, your healer. And he touched the unclean and made him clean. Or the faith of the centurion, who wasn't even Jewish. The faith of the Roman centurion, whose servant was paralyzed and said to Christ those great words from which we get our words in Mass, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. And God spoke the word, the one who spoke everything into creation, and healed the servant. Or the faith that came from those 72 disciples when breathed upon by the Christ and received the Holy Spirit and went out and did all the things he was doing. When they asked for someone to be healed, someone was healed. When they commanded a devil to come out, the demon had to release and they come back praising God from the experience of the manifest kingdom of God on the earth through them. My friends, there is nothing super unnatural about Christ's continuing ministry. But it's as if we think that way. That it ought to be a, it's an unnatural thing when God does something of his kingdom around us. There's nothing unnatural at all about the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, it's the very reason he came and brought it to us, quite the contrary. It's the most natural thing there is in this world. For the kingdom of God is the return of the world and all of the souls therein to their most natural state and experience. The one we had in the Garden of Eden in the paradise when things were first made new. This is what life in the kingdom of God is supposed to be for everyone who has, been, has become the temple of God by the giving of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that as we move through this series, that by the illumination of God's Holy Spirit that He grants all of us that we close the gap and tear down the second story. That we become a people who truly experience the kingdom of God manifest in their lives every part and part of the fabric of their lives to experience Him. Let me conclude this part by just reading the finalization of the first chapter by Father Stephen Freeman. He says, it would seem to me that anyone who comes from a sacramental tradition should feel a certain cognitive dissonance with the sounds and images of secularized thought. For the God who took flesh and dwelt among us is surely the same God 
who continues to take common things like bread and wine, oil and water, as well as men and women, and make of them the instruments of his presence among us. For he is indeed everywhere present and fillest all things. This is where we're going. And all of you who commit to continuing and praying and building your fellowship with God and heeding to what we're going to hear the church teaches us about living and manifesting this manifest kingdom of heaven, you will see the gap close to your salvation and I believe to the salvation of many others. Thoughts and questions. Thoughts or questions? Yes. When I was teaching religion in an Episcopal school years ago, uh, this song came out and, and um, from a distance that meant. Oh yeah. Uh, and my students were so excited. Oh wow, we finally have a song that's made it into the top ten chart that's Christian. Oh lordy, yeah. And then I went, oh no 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 no. Well, let me ask you. Um, how can Jesus say I'm with you until the end of the age? How can you say I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit? How can you say the kingdom of God is within right. you? And I went on to say all these different things and take them to those scripture passages. Right. And I went, eh? From what distance? Yeah, and, and, and they just kind of <laughs> right. went, so that's like yeah. wrong. And I go, uh-huh. So, right. But, and but yet. That, but that was a song that yeah. the, everybody was nuts about thinking, wow, you know, it's a God thing. That would be, that would be probably the central modern song to describe the secularization of faith. There's no question. Very good. Thoughts, questions? Any? Yes, Nancy. Uh, Kathy, what? You mind if I share a testimony that you and I experienced together? When our beloved Larry, your husband, when his spirit departed his soul, his body, we were all gathered around him, and we were praying the prayer for the departure of the soul. You remember the peace of Christ that was in that room as his soul left him? Hmm? There was light and hope when that soul departed, and we all were amazed. That's right. And now he's gone. He's That's right. That's right. Which is not far away. Not far away. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I still hear you every once in a while. Listen. Larry, I mean. You need to. You, whatever Larry says, you bring it to me for discernment. I knew him too. That's right. That's right. Yes. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. Uh, God and the, the great reality that you bring to the surface here by what you said, and this is one of the things that was on my heart. It's beyond Christianity needing to be a place of comfort for Christians. And I've said this before. Why are the fish jumping in the boat right now? And they are. Look at all the new folks even just in our parish who have had so many different and sundry journeys. Why are they jumping in? Because when they've come here, they have experienced the manifestation of the kingdom of God, and it's got the answers they've been longing for. The reality is the kingdom of God manifest in the world and the experience therein is never dependent on what the culture of the world is doing around us. Those who live and dwell in this culture of the kingdom of God that we're going towards, we're moving towards together, you know, through this time and through many times moving ahead. It is for two things, so that all of us stop being so dadgum rocked by what's going on around us. It's in, it's, we should not be, because God and His kingdom, you see? And the more that we manifest the kingdom of God, and it's like St. Seraphim of Sarov said, acquire not a spirit of peace, the spirit of peace. That is the Holy Spirit. Acquire the spirit of peace and thousands around you will be saved. You see? So thank you for bringing that up. Chris? Do you know that's right? That's Man. Bette Midler helped write The Handmaid's Tale. Wow. Man, you know, guys, with... With everything, with everything we've covered today, if you walk away with that, thank God. You know, you've got that piece of information. <laughs> yeah, Gary. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see what you're asking. Right. Very much so, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Excellent question. I have, the, if, if you didn't hear that, the, the question is, is there some type of, of darkness or blindness around us that we're not experiencing the things of the kingdom of God, for example, that many, for example, in many places of Africa are, and by the way, I have a missionary that I know, an African missionary to Africa, who was a mentor of mine for the longest times, and he would tell me testimonies of all that they're seeing and experiencing, but all they're having to come against. The spiritual warfare there in many parts of Africa is extraordinary. There's no veil. It's all out in the open. What I find is this, Gary. I think that a number of things. I won't be able to cover this fully, but I'll give you a few thoughts. First and foremost, I see Satan's 
deceits being very different in different parts of the world based on cultures. We have just as much spiritual battle as any other nation, as any other culture. But Satan has so been underneath it all that it's not as much right in our, in our face and it's steered us away from the experience of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? I will say this, I don't care what nation you're in. When God's people move in fellowship with God to experience the kingdom of God, then all things become clear and the blindness and darkness rolls away. So I'm not concerned about how it works out in those different nations. What I fully trust is that all of us in this parish and if God's church will be faithful to be those of the kingdom of God, to live in it based on His prescribed order, who's ordered everything for our salvation and the salvation of the world. If we will be about that, we will see the same manifestations and the same victory. And we've seen some even in this parish. We've had a, we, you, you guys know we've had a couple of miracles of healing. Praise God what He did for some of us here, you know. The more people will live and dwell in the kingdom, God has never stopped manifesting His kingdom where it is welcome. Where it's welcome. Thank you. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, I was going to add something to that, but kind of also, like, say something. Sure. What Mr. Gary said, I think, like, out, like, Africa is a different cultural thing. And over here in America, we've been so, like, our foundations have been the Enlightenment, post-Enlightenment, reason, all this stuff that a lot of times, like, the spiritual issues that we face, we just chalk them up to very good issue. yeah and so we don't really see the greater spiritual significance we just see it as an intellectual pursuit very good right. very good thank you gary if you didn't hear that he's talking about the fact that we are a people of the rational we are a people marred with the deceit some many of the deceits that came from the enlightenment we are book learners of christ not relationship learners of christ you know, it, it's as I've said before, um, if I went to any one of you and I told you I just read the autobiography of Abraham Lincoln. Oh, my goodness, I enjoyed reading it. You know what? i got to tell you this. That man is my best friend. You would look at me if I am off my rocker. He's dead. You, you've never spent a waking moment of your life with him. You've never shared a meal with him, and you're calling him your best friend. While we must read the Holy Scriptures, while we must read the Holy Fathers, you don't understand that the aim of both of those things is not to grow in rational understanding, but to grow in the experience of salvation from Christ. And that's what he's talking about. Okay, so very good point to make. Thank you. I was just going to add to that point. Mm -hmm. As well, so like I finished reading Saint, the Life of Saint Anthony the Great. Yep. And he was kind of going with what you're talking about the kingdom. Like this was a man who was so in tune with God and in union with God that yeah. he was performing all these insane miracles, blessing and demons, doing right. all this stuff. And it was really like a conviction for me. I was just like, yo, I, I want to like not even just experience, yeah. but I want to be so close with God. Right. That, that stuff is no longer, yeah. like there's no longer a mental block that those things can't 
He's talking about the testimony of the saints of the church. You know, the reason they're a saint is because they lived in the kingdom of God. They allowed themselves to be healed. They allowed themselves to receive mercy. They allowed themselves to grow in fellowship with God. And the saints, because of that, manifested the reality of the continuing ministry of Christ. This is why they're saints. They're not to be put on a pedestal above us. They're to be guides. We look at the saints as that which we are all supposed to become. Every last one of us. Yes. Mm. That's a great question. That's a great question. The faith of our church has always proclaimed that there is a particular manifest reality in the liturgy, the divine liturgy of the church, where heaven and earth have joined together in our duty, our calling, our manifest uh, uh, vocation, of the kingdom of priests gathering. And therein lies is one of the most intimate experiences we can have of God, His kingdom, and union with Him. You follow me? So it's a, very, it's a great question. Again, we don't think, don't think of it as boundaries. Think of about part of the rhythm of the order of the kingdom of God that He has established on earth as it is in heaven. But it's a natural question when you think about God being everywhere. But the reality is sometimes we think of God being everywhere so much he becomes nowhere. And so there... Did you say... Oh, okay. Let me read it. Let me read it. Okay, there. If God is everywhere, why do I go to church? To which the priest replied, the whole atmosphere is filled with water. But when you want to go to a drink, you have to go to a fountain or a well. Thank you. That's good. That's good. Absolutely. And that going to that fountain is a part of the rhythm he established where his people gather. Karen? I think what you said about the necessity is really there and it becomes Yeah. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And not only that. Exactly. And we're talking about buildings. But what about the gathering of the people? The community. We're not saved apart from community. Church fathers call the church community the gymnasium of love. Right? And believe me, we all have heavy weights to lift from time to time with one another to become that love, just like a marriage does, just like any relationship does, right? Yeah. Mm. Because everyone in this room 
Yeah. Absolutely. In spite of the fact. Absolutely. It really get on my nerves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just hurtful. That's just hurtful. I'm looking at you, Water. You saw that? Right. Right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's right. That's right. And, and in fact, uh, Father Stephen did, said that very well when he says God continues to take common things like bread and wine, oil and water, as well as men and women to manifest his presence for our salvation. So very good. All right. All right. One last one. Um, when I think of how badly Christ wants to be close to us, mm. I look at the story of Moses burning bush. Hmm. He told Moses to take his sandals off, not because it was just holy ground, but he wanted nothing between him and Moses. Mm. Beautiful. Very good. My friends, next week we continue on. Let's stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.